for families. Let me hear your hand this, hands this morning. Families can mean all kinds of things. It's gone beyond, way beyond, a definition of the traditional historic family of mom and dad and kids. There are so many other ways that families are formed. And there are single families, divided households, all that comes in that. But this morning at Berean, I want to express that we are thankful for families. Whatever form or shape they are, we're glad for families. And we want this to be a place where uh, families have fun. Amen? Well, that was overwhelming. Thank you for that. I appreciate your overwhelming support. Word of the wise. We're taking the proverb that corresponds to the Sunday that we land on. And this has been an interesting challenge for me. We're in Proverbs chapter 14 this morning. And Proverbs chapter 14 is an interesting collection of 35 sayings employing what's called antithetical, antithetical parallelism. All that means is it takes one thing and contrasts it in a poetic form of parallelism, and it runs that way all through the chapter. There's no really single theme that unifies the chapter, um, but there are a number of issues that are discussed, including wisdom and folly, honesty and dishonesty, righteousness and evil, national security and national disgrace, personal security and destruction, the fear of the Lord, generosity and wise servanthood. So I'll be preaching this message from now until next Sunday, so buckle in and we'll cover everything that's in there. Obviously, we can't do that, but I look for a theme that seems to stand out that's woven throughout the chapter, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it's pretty clear, really, I think, and sets the tone for the entire chapter. The wise woman builds her home, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. Now, I find that a pretty interesting thing. I might expect that to say the foolish man tears down his home while the wise man builds it up. But Solomon wants to make it even more pointed because typically, stereotypically perhaps, but I do think there is a tendency for the mother or wife to be the nurturer and the husband to be the provider. There still are those roles that we tend to find ourselves in. And so it would be unnatural for a woman to tear down her house. In fact, one of the signs of the end of the time will be people who are without natural or without familial affection, caring for their own family. And so to make the point even stronger, he's saying that a wise woman will build her house and a foolish one tears it down with their own hands. Doesn't mean that men don't have an influence or impact on that, but trying to illustrate the um, impact made when we don't handle our homes rightly. You know, it's pretty interesting to me that right now home improvement shows are extremely popular. How many of you watch any home improvement shows? Just holler out two or th- just holler out one that's your favorite. Okay, any others? Pardon me? Okay, another one. Love it or list it. Another one. This old house. Little louder. Windy City Rehab. Windy City Rehab. I haven't heard of that one. Do you know that there are over right now playing uh, for your viewing pleasure over 93 home improvement shows that are actively being broadcast right now. I found a list of the top 15 in case you're interested. Number one on the list of popular shows is Good Bones, followed by Main Cabin Masters, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, Tiny House Big Living, Amazing Interiors, Hometown, Fixer Upper, Property Brothers, Trading Spaces, Restored by the Fords, Love It or List It, Celebrity IOU, This Old House, Flip or Flop, Dream Home Makeover, and there are others including House Hunters, Rehab Addict, Design on a Dime, and No Demo Reno. So they're all out there, 93 of them that are out there because there's some kind of, some kind of, um, unusual interest in home improvement shows. And it is so popular, I came across a song that was written in 2019 that carries on that theme. Now, you know it's a popular trend when it hits country music. (laughs) 
And the other way you know that country music is really country is when it uses bad English. So the catch line or hook line in this particular song called The Bones says this. The house don't fall when the bones are good. The house don't fall when the bones are good. You see, what the song is expressing is this couple have had difficult times and challenges and they've been set at odds. But in all of the challenges, the house will not fall if the bones are good. That's the theme behind the show, Good Bones. Well, with all of the concern over the condition of houses in America today, don't you think we ought to have equal concern about the spiritual condition of our homes? Come on, somebody help me this morning. Let me try that again. Don't you think with all of the interest in rehabbing physical homes that we should have a a greater interest in making sure that our spiritual homes are strong? Can I hear you saying amen? I believe that. Jesus reminds us or instructs us in the Gospels that if you build your house on the sand, it will fall flat. If you build it on the rock, it will endure storms and remain. How many of you sang it as a kid? Maybe our kids still sing it. I don't know. The wise man built his house upon the rock. How many have ever sung that song? The rest of you are pagans. How many have ever sung that song? The wise man built his, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. And the house on the sand did what? It fell flat. The house on, there you go, exactly. Can't hardly restrain yourself. The house on the sand went, and the house on the rock stood firm. It's the condition of the house. So I want to ask you this morning, a word to the wise. Have you taken inventory? Does your spiritual home need renovation? Should you be looking at what's happening in the four spiritual walls of your spiritual home, and are there changes that you need to make? I think it's important now and then to take inventory. And there are three things that this chapter says you can do that impacts your home. And the first is really important to understand. You can strengthen your house. You can strengthen your house. Anything that is worth doing requires hard work. And I'm going to jump around in this chapter, Proverbs 14, so that you can see where those truths come up out of the text. Proverbs says in verse 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads to poverty. So I'm reading that through the lens of the first verse, that if you want your home to be strong and profitable, it takes hard work. How many of you know that? It's hard work to build a solid home. It doesn't just happen on its own. For the last little while, um, I'll admit this publicly, we were looking in another community and are still kind of looking for a house that maybe we could re- rehab or do something with. And uh, I went to a house in this particular town that had had an addition put on the back. And it looked kind of sketchy. And uh, they told me that to not pay attention to what was already in that house because the lady that was living there had some mental health issues. Oh, that was clear. That was clear. So we walked in, and they recommended we wear masks. And I wasn't so concerned until I went up to the second floor, and I stepped out on the second floor addition that was attached. And a house is in trouble when you jump like this, and it feels like a trampoline. It's time to get out. We looked at another house that had the old stone foundation. Have any of you seen those? Not the cinder block, but the old stone. And then part of it was cinder block. And uh, the realtor wouldn't go in with us. And uh, so I went in and it had those cellar doors. You remember those that are flat and you open them this way and go down in? How many know what I'm talking about? You're looking at me like, what world, what planet do you live on? And so I went in, got down in there, have a flashlight. You know, there's all kinds of creepy crawlers and stuff happening down there. And I looked to my right. And there is no foundation wall. It has caved in. 
How many of you would join me and get out of that basement right away or that crawl space? I can tell you story after story. One particular house we looked at, um, I walked up on the porch and the realtor said, you need to sign a release before we let you go in. I'm not going in. Who knows what was in there? Do you know what caused all those houses to fail? Neglect. There wasn't a soon, I mean, there wasn't a, a, a storm, there wasn't a tornado, there wasn't some earthquake, there wasn't anything of that that happened. No one put bombs around it. Just year after year after year after year of neglect put it in a place where it was dangerous to live inside. Because if you're going to maintain your home, there are times that you're going to have to do more than turn on the heat and turn on the air and lock the door. Hello? You're going to have to put some energy and effort into it to maintain and sustain that building. I helped a guy a number of years ago rehab a house, and we knew there was trouble with it when we put a softball on the back wall and watched it roll and bounce off the front wall. There was a sagging. And it was a house where another lady had lived where she'd had some mental health issues, and I'm not mocking them, it's just the reality, had a fireplace, and she would run the fireplace with the flue completely shut. The ceiling was as black as you could imagine with soot. So I joined the guy, and we went under the back of the house, or actually front to the back. We went to the back and made a beam and put some jacks under it to lift it up till it was level. And it all happens, all of those stories happen not by a malicious intent, but by simple neglect. And your house, your family, whatever form it's in, will not remain stable if you assume that it's going to survive. It takes hard work. Babies are wonderful, aren't they? They eat, sleep, and you change their diaper, and they cry. And then those little cute babies turn into something that terrifies the heart of every adult teenagers and there's all the wrestling that they're going through with the way that their world is changing and you're trying to give guidance and trying to provide help and it takes vigilance it takes discipline it takes hard work and so I'm saying to you hear me this morning if in your household you say well I'm single I live alone well even in your own spiritual life it takes hard work for you to build a house around you spiritually that's going to endure over time. You have to put energy into it and work at it. Profitable work is always messy. I love this proverb in verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Now, I'm going to explain to you what that means. If you want a clean barn, don't put animals in it. But if, you <laughs> but if you're going to have animals like oxen that work hard, you're going to have to feed them well. You're not getting it. When you feed them well, what happens in the barn? It fills up with stuff. I grew up with horses. We had a barn. It does not clean itself. And it was made clear to me that if you want to ride horses, you have to learn what a shovel and a pitchfork does when it is terrible smelling in there and you can't do it in the winter you have to do it in the summer when everything is thawed and it is a horrific job to have to do but if you <laughs> if you want to have the benefit you have to be willing to clean up the mess because they go together come on is there anyone in the house this morning if you want a strong home if you want good relationships around you do not kid yourself that it's not going to be messy. When you build relationships, you will have some manure to shovel. How many understand me now? 
It's going to happen. It's, it's messy work. Dealing with people in life is messy work. But the Bible tells us something about the, what will strengthen your home. And what this chapter brings out in the forefront over and over again, listen to these verses. It is the fear of the Lord that will strengthen your house. I believe we live in a generation that the fear of the Lord disappeared a long time ago. And we've turned God into a celestial bellhop that is just waiting for our declaration so that he can do what we want. And there's no fear of God before our eyes anymore. But you have to understand that while he is to be loved and cherished, he is also to be feared. And fear, you say, well, that does, it means awe. No, it means to be afraid because if you violate the premises and principles of God and you live in rebellion against him, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an awesome God when you're living contrary to his principles. And that needs to be restored in our home, that the fear of the Lord permeates the atmosphere. We only want to do the things in this house that please him. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. For his children, it will be a refuge. When you put the fear of the Lord around your house, it will be secure and it will be a place that provides protection for your children. Verse 2, he who walks he whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. Do you know that they learn more from our example than from our words? And when they see you lie and misrepresent and do things that are devious, don't expect them to do anything different than you are. Because what one generation tolerates, the next generation will openly practice and the next generation will openly celebrate. What one generation permits the next generation will openly practice and the next generation will openly celebrate if you want a house that doesn't go down that road then live in uprightness before God let them see that you do the right things now I know that that sometimes that's hard and I know you wouldn't agree with me I'm just telling you to find your own find your own standard and live by it If I, I'm just going to tell you, if I put coins in a pop machine and two cans come out, I only take one because I only paid for one. I was standing with my kids. Oh, we got two for the price of one. No, what this is, we paid for one, we're stealing one. Well, dad, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to put it on top of the machine. Well, someone else will take it. I'm going to let them be a thief. I'm not going to be the thief. Is there... Now, you may think that's extreme and I, I get that. Uh, some days I wish I had that second pop. But they're going to follow what you do more than what you say. They're watching your life. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. So it will keep your children from being trapped in deadly ways when the fear of the Lord encompasses your household. That means you talk about him. You talk about God with respect that becomes the fiber of your being that you don't want to live in any way. It's not what's legal or ethical. It's what's godly that directs our steps. Because it also says in verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. And I'll say the same is true for families. Righteousness exalts a family. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Doesn't matter who's getting away with it. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It doesn't matter who they behave. Sin disgraces everywhere that it is tolerated. So you can make your home stronger if you want to. It's hard work. It's messy work. And it's wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. The second impact you can have is you can weaken your house. You can weaken your house. Be careful what you renovate. Tearing down is part of renovation. And I would be great. If you want to do a renovation, I'll be there with a sledgehammer. I'll be glad to help you. But you've got to know what you're hitting before you start swinging. You have to know where you're drilling before you start pushing into a wall. It makes a difference 
what you tear down. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 20, See today I point you over the nations and the kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, then to build up and plant. So before you're going to build up and plant, you have to do what? Uproot, tear down, destroy and overthrow. There's renovation. There's tearing out that has to happen. In Jeremiah 31, 28, Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, overthrow and destroy and bring disaster... I will watch over them to build and plant. It's a biblical principle that you do have to tear down some things. And as you go on renovating your household, you're going to discover some things that need to be removed. Believe me, you don't want to remove a load-bearing wall. You better have a skill set in electrical, plumbing, and gas renovation Sagging roofs, cracks in the foundation, and gas leaks are the top three concerns in home renovations. I remember I wasn't there, thank God, and I mean that sincerely, um, when this happened, but I talked to a guy who was trying to renovate his grandmother's house, and it was an old house that had a working fireplace with a working chimney, but over years of neglect, that chimney has started to fall apart. How many know what I'm talking about? So they made an assumption that the chimney was anchored on every floor. So the chimney goes up through the kitchen, up through the second floor, and up to the roof. So they thought, well, there won't be any problem with just removing the fireplace from the kitchen because surely the rest of the chimney is anchored at every floor. So they begin to remove the fireplace, and all of a sudden, when there's not enough support to sustain the chimney, it came down. The whole chimney came down from the roof through the second floor. They, they fortunately got out of the way as it slammed through the kitchen floor and they had a pile of debris that had gathered in the basement. You better know what you're doing. Here's a series of design flaws that have, these are real, these have really taken place. Let's take that first slide. How in the world are you going to use those stairs? And imagine on that fourth floor, if you don't know and you step out. Next one. Unbelievable. Next one. I'm still trying to figure that one out. What were they thinking? I think we have a couple more. I think we have one more slide. Someone, someone, is that the last one? Someone didn't measure right. Somebody, somebody didn't measure right. Ceiling fans terrify me. Carol's family were there years ago, 4th of July in Cedar Rapids. We'd been out all day, hot and tired, and they wanted to, they had to do something with the stove. It had to be unplugged, and it's pushed in there tight. So yeah, I'll help. So I grab the stove, and I pull it out, and I jump up on the counter, and I jump, that was a few years ago, and I jump down the back, unplug the 220, lay it on the ground, jump back out, and I'm on the counter like this, and the ceiling, they don't have air conditioning, the ceiling fan is flying at full speed, and I'm thinking, I better not jump, because it'll hit me right in the face, so I need to duck under it, and I went to jump, and I stuck my head right into the ceiling fan. <laughs> I have a scar to this day. Do you know how much a head wound bleeds? It's horrible. It's horrible. Carol's saying, let me see. I, nobody's seeing this till I see it. And I go, blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. It's dangerous work. By making the wrong kind of renovation, you can destroy your house. You can weaken it by removing things that need to stay. And I've watched families do that. They remove load-bearing walls. There's not enough time in our schedule. So let's remove some of our church disciplines. There's not a tough time in our schedule. So let's take away from our Bible reading times. We take away the load-bearing walls and replace them with frivolous pieces and wonder 
why the house collapses. If you begin to renovate, don't remove the wrong things. It's a foolish person that tears down their house. The word fool, that same word fool, appears in other places in this chapter. What are some ways that you might be guilty of tearing down your own house? Verse 3, chapter, all chapter 14. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. Is your talk foolish? Sometimes we just say stupid things. And we say things that aren't true. And as I shared on the message during fun days about humor, if you have to say, I was just joking, you probably shouldn't have said it to begin with. If it's not that clear. I had a friend who had a, uh, what they have, a 30 second rule. That if you said something and then in 30 seconds you said, I was just joking, it wasn't a lie. No, it was still a lie. It just took you 30 seconds to repent. But when you speak those words, you put it out there in existence. What will tear down your house? Foolish talk. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give strength to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Now, I'm, I'm as much for a joke and a laugh and a prank. I like watching, you know, YouTube uh, videos. Have you seen the one where these guys are out on a golf course and they hook a string to a guy's belt? A loop and it's tied to a big rubber snake and then they say something turns and runs in circles and can't get away from the snake I get that I think that's hysterical if you do it to me I'll hit you with my driver <laughs> it's not talking about that but we have to be really really careful about deception lying to preserve someone's feelings is still lying now, you can find a way to say it that's not as hurtful, but when we fill our conversations with deception and no one can believe us, you're tearing down your house. Proverbs 14, 9, fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. When you make fun of people that repent, when you make fun of people that are trying to do the right thing. Verse 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. How short is your fuse? How quick does it fire off? If your family has to deal with your quick temper, that's a foolish thing. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Verse 24, the wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. And verse 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. So what is it that will tear down load-bearing walls in your house, according to Proverbs 14? Foolish talk, deceptive actions, mocking repentance, quick-tempered, shallow thinking, and perverse actions. Proverbs 14 gives us a list of what will tear down your house. Foolish talk, deceptive actions, mocking repentance, quick-tempered, shallow thinking, perverse actions. Don't weaken your house. If you're going to tear things out, tear out the right things. Because you have the ability to make your house stronger or the ability to to make your house weaker. And third, you also have the ability to beautify your house. You have the ability to beautify your house. Look at uh, verse 11 in chapter 14. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Proverbs says another place, it's better to dwell in a corner of the rooftop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. It's talking about it's better to live with nothing than to live in a house filled with tension. What can you do to beautify your house? Well, first he contrasts the house of the wicked with the tent of the upright. The word house here does speak of something that is substantial and stable. It's a word that's also used to speak of a temple or a palace and of households and family units. But in other words, it's a structure that is not temporary in nature. So in the Old Testament, the temple would be a house because that stayed in its place. 
The tent is something transient and unstable. It describes a nomad's tent, and it is descriptive of the tabernacle in the wilderness, something that is transient, something that is movable. Now watch this. When they went from Egypt to the promised land, they had a tent for a tabernacle because it moved, but that was not their goal. That's not what they wanted ultimately. It was to get them somewhere, and when they got to the promised land, they put away the tabernacle in the wilderness, and they built a substantial temple that would stay in place. And I think most of us would agree that your life goal would be to live in a house, not have to live in a tent. Some years ago, we were involved with one of the schools in Southeast, uh, Southeast Polk District in Mitchellville. And several of us pastors gathered with one of the um, school principals, and he sold some stories that were just heartbreaking. He talked about children that came to school that were so poor they didn't have undergarments, and families that needed diapers and couldn't afford those. And we all said, look, all you've got to do is call. If that's the situation, we don't need to have a board meeting or, or we'll just get it together and take care of that. I mean, there was great need. But the saddest story of all was a young man that he told me about that was living in Yellow Banks Park, was a high school senior, had some kind of vehicle that he could drive, but had nowhere to call home, was living in a tent in Yellow Banks Park with an extension cord he brought into his tent and hooked at the top, put a bulb on it so they could do his homework. How many would agree that's tragic? I'd rather live in a house than be forced to live in a tent. Are you with me? It's pretty wide extreme, pretty wide extreme. But now look at what the wisdom, the word to the wise says. The house, the stable goal of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. He's saying it's better to live in a tent in Yellow Bank Park, in Yellow Banks Park, righteously, than to live in a mansion in Des Moines. Because the mansion filled with wickedness will collapse. But the family that's living in a tent with righteousness will be blessed and flourish. That word means to bud or to blossom. The tent will flourish. It will stand out, send out shoots. It can even mean to fly. And it's used negatively of things that break forth and grow. But the thrust of this is simply that it's better to put your emphasis on what goes on side in the house than what's around you as the house. Because even if it's a tent, if you're living uprightly, that tent will begin to bud and will begin to flourish and will begin to blossom. And the blessing of God will abide upon that. Don't put more emphasis in what you have around you than what you have within you. Don't put more emphasis on the technological gadgets that you have and neglect the relationships that need to be built. I've shared this before, um, but occasionally, well, not occasionally, Friday noon is uh, a date lunch for Carol and I. We don't go with anybody. We go somewhere um, to eat. And I suppose it's okay to say where. No, it's not a, it's not a bar. I'm not saying that. I'm, but I don't want to give them any extra credit or identify anybody. But we'll go. It's fun to go to Panera Bread and talk and watch people. Anybody else? There's an older couple that comes in regularly and they get their food and they sit down and one of them flips up their computer and the other one opens their iPad and for 45 minutes they don't say a word to each other. Not a word. Well, maybe they need some time to be online. We'll do that alone because I've been, t not tempted, 
I'm not tempted to do this. I want you to think that I have impulse control problems. But I thought it'd be better for somebody to bust those with a hammer and make you talk because if your money is spent on things that tear down relationships, the house is going to crumble. However, I don't care. I don't care if it is the fastest, most expensive um, computer available where you're not upright, it's going to collapse. Is anyone hearing me right now? What are you investing in? What are you putting energy in? Where are you spending your time? The tent of the upright will flourish. So what is it? Now, I'll give you a minute here, but what is it that will beautify your home? So we've talked about Proverbs 14. Here are the things of fear of the Lord and walking uprightly will make your home stronger. There are all kinds of things that will make your home weaker. What will beautify it? What does the chapter tell us will beautify your home? Listen to verse 20. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Now, I read several commentaries on this verse and read it in different translations. And without exception, here's what the commentators say, and I'm going to spin it another direction. It says, it shows the selfishness of the heart of mankind. It shows how we shun people in need and we're attracted to people who have riches and we play up to them. That certainly is what it could mean. I'm not diminishing that. But I began to read that again and thought about it differently in the context of building your home. And let's do it in reverse order. How many of you would like to have friends? How many of you would like to be shunned? There might be three or four of you. Like, there's some days, you know, (laughs) shun me. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Stop the world. I want to get off. If you think about it in reverse order, it takes on a different light. I'm not suggesting that we should shun the poor and favor the rich. But it's a poetic contrast. Solomon often has double meanings in what he says. For instance, the verse that we quote all the time, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. We quote that as a positive thing, but you read another translation, it says a man of many friends will come to ruin because it has a two-edged sword. It can mean two things, that if you want to have friends and you play to have friends, it'll destroy you. But if you want to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. How many see the two edges? Okay, are you with me? All right, so let's do the two-edged sword. Yes, if you shun the poor and favor the rich. But let me ask you, someone who has a poverty mindset, in other words, they're always in need, they're always asking for help, they're always asking you to do something to help them, and they're never giving, how many of you would be honest enough to say, I would shun them? Oh, yes, you would. Don't hold, you're not that spiritual. You would shun them. Sure you would. I would. Oh, here they come. Have you ever done this? Oh, here they come. Hello, hello. You know what's really embarrassing? While you're doing that and your phone rings? That is, that is terrible. That's terrible. It's a, it's, a double, it's a double line. It's a conference call. Sure, none of us want to be around people that are constantly asking, constantly in need, can never get on top of things, have a poverty mindset. It's bad and getting worse. How many are at least understanding what I'm saying? That if you live with that mindset that everybody owes you something and you're entitled, I promise you it has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with your mindset. And if you live with a poverty mindset, people are going to shun you. They just are, and they should, because our goal is to bless the lives of others, isn't it? What about an abundance mindset? Do you know an abundance mindset has nothing to do with what you have? It's how you see what you have. I've seen people have absolutely nothing, and you'd think they're the richest man or woman on the planet, not because of, not because of what they're misrepresenting, but because of the way they give. I've learned over the years that it's rarely rich people that give sacrificially to the kingdom. It's rarely. It's usually people who don't have a lot who have an abundance mindset. 
a poverty mindset says, hold and save. Um, um, get all you can, can all you get, hold it together, hoard it, hold it all together. And then there are people who believe that if God can get it through you, he will get it to you. And if you want friends, then be the kind of person that blesses others. And I don't mean financially, but just think of it this way. You're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe it's because it's guilt and conviction grabbing your heart right now. I don't know. But imagine if I walked up to Tim and every time I saw him, I said, oh, brother, pray for me. I just, you just have no idea what I'm going through. You know, I just, it's just hard. Life's really hard right now. I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I, <laughs> you know, once or twice, but it's like every time I see him, everywhere I go. But if I approach him and say, hey, brother, how are you doing? So good to see you. Hope you're having a blessed day. I'm praying for you. You're a man of God, full of faith and power. Which person do you want to have come to you? The person, the person who has abundance. And so the idea of beautifying your home, don't make your household a place where you constantly need somebody to do something for you. Make your house a place where you're constantly thinking of ways of how to bless someone. Have you ever seen a child give a bouquet of dandelions to mom? And you would say, if I got my wife a bouquet of dandelions, I'm going to live in the garage for a while. But when a child goes out and does that, it's their heart saying, mom, I love you because it's not the flower. It's the mindset that wants to give. It's not about how much you have. It's about how you deal with what you do have. And if you want your house to flourish, then live like someone who is rich, who's blessed with the favor of God, who's seated in heavenly places in Christ, who believes that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. I'm not worried about what's not in my closet or cabinet or cupboard. I'm believing that God's going to fill it. And if I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, come on in. Let's have a cake. Hallelujah. Because I want to develop an abundance mindset that's separated from what I evaluate that I possess. Beautify your home. Make your home a place where you can bless others. Be the house of the rich. What beautifies the home? Life-giving relationships. And second, what will beautify your home? Verse 21. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blesses he who is kind to the needy. That's the balance. That's the balance. Are you kind to the needy? If you're constantly complaining about your neighbors and everyone at church and everyone in leadership, go ahead and tear your house down now. But if you're blessing others, you'll beautify them. And then third is a positive impact on culture. So watch these things. A large population is a king's glory. What kind of leader has no followers? An ineffective one. And fourth, the good man will be rewarded for his ways. Now look at these four. How are you going to beautify your house? Life-giving relationships, happiness and blessing, positive impact on the culture, and living in divine favor. All of that in chapter 14. So my question to you is simply this. Does your house need renovation? Does your house need renovation? Look around. Take inventory. If there's mold in the basement, you need to take care of it. I thought we had a terrible problem at our house. We had teenagers staying. And I'm in the dining room, and there's a drip coming through the dining room ceiling with the bathroom right over top of us. I thought, oh, we busted a pipe. Something's gone bad here. No, no. One of the teenage boys didn't know that you have to put the shower inside the tub. If you don't, it floods. That kid needed renovation. 
The house didn't. What, now it did after that, I had to fix the ceiling. But what I'm saying to you is this, this would be a great time. We're going into September, back to school, all the activities flaring up and rising up. Are you strengthening your home? Or are you making your home weaker? And if you're strengthening it, are you beautifying it? I want my home to be a strong, beautiful place. Amen. Let's stand together and just ask God to turn the floodlight on your soul. Make your family a home renovation story. I'm not saying love it or list it. (laughs) I'm talking about this old house can be a thing of beauty. Could we take a moment to just worship him and let God speak to your heart. Let him talk to you. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart I worship you. about that I've walked into uh, probably a dozen houses I can't change what happened to them but I can change what it'll look like in the future 
if you need renovation at home, this isn't about feeling guilty over what's been in disrepair. It's about identifying it today and strengthen it and beautify it. Don't weaken your household. Let's let that be what drives and motivates us. From this day forward, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. So glad for you being here this morning on Sunday on a Stick. And uh, really thankful for all the support that you give financially. Really, really appreciate your faithfulness and generosity. I believe that God honors that, and I believe that God's people are generous. Amen. We're still looking for, I think we're still looking for Connect Group leaders. And uh, you see Kevin go online, sign up. We need some more leaders for Connect Groups to be ready for the next session. So uh, please do that and join us in that endeavor. Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Let them know you care about it.